Good morning. Good morning. It is good to be with you again, my church family. Um, if I can, I'm going to take a second before we start here, and uh, I, I want to give just a little short time of thanksgiving and prayer before we begin. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm brand new here, and so uh, I, I want to tell you just about some neat things I've seen uh, God moving in this area. So uh, this past week on Thursday, I got to go to something called the uh, Minister's Alliance gathering. This uh, ministers in this town that get together once a month and got to meet uh, several ministers, and it was good to catch up with them. Uh, it was good to meet some folks who, uh, who know this church and who know Jimmy. And, uh, and I, I want you to know a couple of things. One is we had the, the meeting was actually at the Christian Women's Job Corps, so I learned about that. I didn't know about that. And so I was there, and it's amazing work being done at the Christian Women's Job Corps. And I got to, got to know them a little bit, too. And, and here's a couple of things that I want to be grateful for. One is God's moving in this town. There are things that are happening here. God's people all over this town. The kingdom is big, and it's active, and, and God is moving in this town. And here's the other thing I want to tell you. It, it was nice to hear sweet things about my church family. Uh, I want you to know that as I went around and introduced myself and talked to some people uh, about where I was, that I, I'm the new preacher here. And it was funny. They were like, how long have you been here? I am like, nine days. I've been here about nine days. Yeah. They're like, oh, you're really new. Oh, yeah, I'm really new. And uh, to hear them say, oh, those are some generous people. Those are some kind people. Those are some people who love the Lord and love the people in this town. And I can't tell you uh, how that made my heart swell. Uh, to know that the uh, people of God here in this place have a reputation for being folks who love the people of this town. And so I'm very grateful for that. And then, then yesterday, I, uh, uh, I got to go out to Arms of Hope for my first time. And I got to see uh, what's going on out there. And I had no idea how expansive it was, how big it was, and all of the things that are available there. And I had no idea how much food there could be in one place at, at the same time. So... Uh, I got to uh, be up there with some of the other elders uh, judging some food, which is a nice way of saying they just cram a ton of food down your throat. And uh, so I, after trying nine or what was it, Clay, nine, ten desserts, uh, yeah, I, it, I needed a, a, a shot there for a diabetic coma that I was maybe going to go into. But uh, more than anything, I just want you to know, I, I, as I come to this place with new eyes, uh, that I'm able to look around this church and I'm able to look around this city and I'm able to see God's moving in this place. God's moving in this town. Um, and uh, I'm thankful for that. So let's, let's take just a moment and pray if we can. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, that you are active in this town. Uh, Lord, I thank you for how big the kingdom of God is in this place. Uh, I thank you for the partnerships that I see of churches working together all under the name of Jesus Christ. That there can be multiple congregations, but still one church. All of us washed in the same blood. All of us clinging to the same Savior. All of us bowing the same knee to the same God. And Lord, I'm grateful for what I see you doing. How you move, your Holy Spirit moves people uh, to work together to bring peace and to bring mercy. And to be generous in this place. And Lord, we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory for that. Because that is not of our own hands. That is your work. And God, I do pray that you will continue to bless this church and the work that it does. God, I ask you uh, to bless that minister's alliance. 
where ministers get together, they rely on each other, they pray together for this town and for what you're doing, that we may be people of humility and submission to your will. God, I pray for uh, the Christian Women's Job Corps for the work that's being done there as they serve the women of this area so sacrificially. God, I thank you and pray for Arms of Hope that you will continue uh, to bring people there uh, who can see the love of Christ in the work that's being done there, who can find a place of peace and a place of comfort and a place of love. And Lord, we ask that uh, as we continue this morning, uh, the words that are spoken are all directed in honor of you, that we honor you in everything that's done. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So uh, if you were here last week, you noticed that the scripture reading this morning is the same one from last week. We're going to do that a little bit. Um, we're going to keep reading this. We're going to spend several weeks in John 15, and especially in the vine and the branches. This is that metaphor. This is that picture that Jesus painted before he went to the cross. Jesus painted a lot of pictures of who he is. And he painted a lot of pictures of him saying, this is what our relationship is going to be like. And there's so much depth and there's so much rich, richness. As you can see, Jesus desperately trying to get us to understand, this is how I love you. This is who your heavenly father is. This is how our relationship's going to work. And this one in particular, as we talked about last week, as he's heading, basically it sounds like from the upper room to the garden before his crucifixion, is really the, the last metaphor he gets to give. And so last week, uh, we, we cracked this open and we talked about this. And in particular, one of the things I want us to focus on is that picture right there. We're going to keep doing this. And I'll explain it again. So if you look right across there, the big piece of wood going from uh, east to west on there, that's the vine. And then if you look, the connection right there that would be going up, it's a little harder to see. That's the branch. And those are not the same thing. They're different things. They have different purposes. Because Jesus goes through and says a lot, I'm the vine, you're the branch. I'm the vine, you're the branch. I'm the vine, you're the branch. And we're going to keep talking about what that means. And then, of course, you see the fruit that's on there. But we, what we want to be focused on more than anything is that relationship right there where that branch is attached to that vine because that's the secret to all of this. And there is so much in it. And last week, what we did was we started with verse 1. And verse 1 is where he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. And if you weren't with us last week, you can maybe go back and watch that if you want to. But let me give you just a brief review. That was familiar language, and that's loaded language. One is to talk to his disciples in the first century, Jewish people, and talk about a vineyard. They get that. They understand what that is. It's kind of like talking to uh, people in Texas years ago about hauling hay. They get that, right? I mean, there's a bunch of us, not so much now. There's a bunch of us that years ago when you go, it's like hauling hay, and we go, oh, I've hauled hay. You know, if I were to say, it's as hot as when you haul hay, there's a bunch of people here that go, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know what that is, right? Or it's as back-breaking work as hauling hay. You would know that. So in the first century, when you have Jesus talking to his disciples and going, I want to use vineyard language, first century Jews understand that language. They have been around vineyards a lot. Vineyards are everywhere. And not only that, they knew the history from the Old Testament of talk of this is what a vineyard is. Israel's like a vineyard. That's familiar language. And then the loaded language we talked about last week was that word true. For Jesus to come by and say, I know there's a lot of vines, but I'm going to tell you the ultimate, the perfect picture, the one that's eternal, I'm that. And so it changed everything. It made every other vine lesser 
when he said those words. And so that's what we spent last week talking about. Now this week, we're going to move into the next verse. And that next verse is verse 2 where he says, He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it more fruitful. So we're going to talk about pruning today. And I know that a lot of times, even to say those words, we start wondering where we're going to go with that. So let me tell you a little bit first of what I learned uh, spending some time with a vine dresser and spending some time with a sommelier, someone who works in vineyards and someone who works with vines and grapes all the way to the wine process. So uh, my friend Sean that I spent some time with, I took him, I took him out and I was like, hey, this John 15 is just all in my head, and I need you to explain this to me. What's he talking about? What would they have heard? What does this mean? What is the depth and the richness of this scriptures? And so he took, he took me out, and he showed me all these things. And in particular, and I, want you, I called him this past week for a, a, a little tutoring session again to go, now talk to me again about pruning. Talk to me about what this means and what this is. So I got him to talk to me a little bit. Now, I will let you know, this is the time of year right now, where all of these vineyards that you see all over the place, and in particular everywhere, I told you from Johnson City to Fredericksburg, there's like 50 of them. It's harvest time. Right now, they are going, and there is a lot of harvesting. They're coming in, and they're cutting that fruit. And then what's going to happen is they're going to let these vines rest for a little bit, because that's a little traumatic. And then it's going to be pruning time. So there will be this time of pruning that comes pretty quick. And so when I talked to my friend Sean, there's a couple of things that I gleaned from what he was talking about that seemed to matter the most when it comes to pruning. The first thing that I got from this is from everything that he talked about is the further the branch gets from the vine as it grows further and further away, the more danger it's in. The further it grows away from the vine, the more danger it's in. There are all sorts of things that can begin to happen as it gets further and further away from the vine. One is fruit that grows a long way away from the vine. It's not very healthy. It's not very good. You don't want it. That's not what they want to harvest right now as they take these grapes to make wine and to use them uh, for, for what they're doing. You, you don't want the stuff that's a long way away from the vine because what starts happening is all the nutrients, the nutrients that you get from the vine start getting pared down. They start getting um, to where they're watered down in a lot of ways. And so you don't want that. The other thing that happens from that is the further you get away from the vine, the vine starts to kind of lose its identity a little bit. As a vine grows and it continues to grow and grow and grow and get further away from the vine, one of the things that happens is a branch starts grabbing for anything. It starts grabbing to hang on to anything it can. And you may have seen this before. If you've ever been around a vine that has branches that grow and that's not regularly pruned, what happens is it just grabs onto anything. It'll grab onto a trellis. Uh, it'll grab onto uh, a fence. It'll grab onto another tree. It'll grab onto a bicycle and start. It doesn't matter what it is. It's going to start grabbing onto anything that it can find the further it gets away from the vine. And here's the other thing that happens is as it gets further away from the vine, then that's where disease starts to come in. It starts getting a fungus. And it starts getting all of these other diseases that can happen because it's getting too far away from its source. It's getting too far away from everything that provides the energy and everything that provides what it needs and the nutrients. So the further it gets away, the more dangerous it is. And here's the other thing. If it goes too far away, what happens is the branch loses its identity in such a way that it can touch the ground. And if it touches the ground, it dies. 
it will get this fungus and it will get this disease. And then the next thing you know, it's going to die. Also, one of the things that can happen is it can hit the ground and can try and plant itself in such a way that it kind of acts like it's a vine. It hits the ground and it will try and grow roots. And it will try and bury itself right there in the ground. And then what happens is all of the energy and all of the focus and all of the nutrients and everything that is in that branch starts going to this new place where it's kind of embedded itself in the ground. And it draws all the energy that could have been used in the branch that's connected to the vine. And instead it pushes it towards that vine. And we're going to talk about what this can do because there's this fungus and there's this infection that can happen. It's called phloxera, and we're going to talk about that later, uh, not just for science purposes, but to explain a little bit more of the depth of all of this. But the main thing I want you to remember in all of this is that the further the branch grows away from the vine, the more danger it's in. And the more danger it's in of forgetting that it's a branch, not a vine. The other thing that I learned more than anything is that uh, new growth is best in a branch. New growth is always best. That's one of the reasons that there is pruning, is because you realize when you cut this back, that new growth that will happen will be the best growth that happens. So it, it'll be healthier. And one of the things that it does more than anything is when you cut these branches back, it makes them draw nearer to the vine, and it makes them have to draw more energy and more nutrients from the vine. It, it's... It's kind of like saying you cut the branch back and it reminds it that it's needy. That the branch is needy for what the vine has. If it gets too far away, it forgets how needy it is. So if you were to look at it in another way, you could say that more than anything, this pruning that has to happen here is to remind the vine to draw near, remind the branch, draw near to the vine. Draw near. Be close. Hang on. Starting to sound familiar a little bit? You see the language that's all in this? Now, first century Jews, disciples, they know pruning. They've probably worked in vineyards. You know, there's parables that continue on, right, with vineyards about the workers who come early and the workers who come late. They know this language. They've probably done this at some point. They know what this means to prune, and they know what it means to draw near and to hold on tight and near to the one true vine. One of the things that, that Sean told me more than anything is to go, branches are designed to be pruned. That's what they're for. Left to their own devices, they grow out of control. And directed growth is the best growth. And that's why you'll see if you go out to a vineyard, you'll see that not only do they have the vine there, but they put the wires that go across. It looks like a barbed wire fence with no barbs on it. It's because what they want to do is they want to direct the growth of the, of the branch. It's really important for it to be a controlled growth. We know what uncontrolled growth is, right? I mean, that's, in humans, that's, we call that cancer. Uncontrolled growth is a harmful thing. It, be, it can become cancer. And so what we're talking about here is directed growth that has its source at the vine so that the fruit that comes on there will be healthy and it will be good. Now, here's the thing. When you start looking at that word prune, I don't know about you, but the first thing that I start thinking about is pain. I flinch. God wants to prune you. I'm like, uh-oh. This is going to hurt. Right? This is like, uh, what's the old joke about praying for patience? You know about praying for patience? You know, people warn you, don't pray for patience. You know what happens if you pray for patience, right? God throws all these horrible things into your life. 
to teach you patience. So there's a big joke. Don't do it. Don't pray for patience. That's a horrible thing to do. But when we start thinking of pruning, I even asked in, in our minister's meeting, our staff meeting this week, and, and Ray was one who said, I said, what do you think about when you hear pruning? And he goes, cutting and bleeding. I was like, woo. But I, I don't know that he's wrong. So much of this has to do with our view of God and who we think God is and what we think God does. But I got to tell you, our natural reaction, I think, a lot with the idea of pruning is the idea of flinch. I flinch. I become afraid. It makes me nervous to think about the idea that God would prune me. It's like this painful lesson that he wants to do in my life. God wants to hurt me and take away the things that I need so that I'll learn a lesson. And so we can become afraid. We start thinking about it as ultimate sort of damage. I, I met with a young lady a few years ago um, at the church in Austin. And um, she'd come to talk with me because her husband had been unfaithful. And she was in a desperate place and hurt and confused and trying to figure it all out. And at one point, I know that she said, maybe God did this because I need to learn something. And I remember thinking, oh, no, that's not how God works. God doesn't just come in and pound you so that you learn a lesson. This particular lady has a, a, a sweet daughter. And I remember asking, I know, that, I know that you want you and your daughter's relationship to be close, don't you? She said, well, of course I do. I said, well, can you imagine pushing her down the stairs so that she'd be hurt and you could hold her? Would you do that? She's like, well, no. I'm like, no, that's not what we do. We don't push our kids down the stairs so that we can hold them close. That's not the way that this works. And our God, our good, good father, is not a God who goes around smashing people so that he can draw them closer to him. That's not the way that he works. But too often, I got to tell you, I fear that. And when I let my flesh take over, I start worrying about that. And it goes all the way back, really, to the story of the garden in the beginning of what God is like. You remember what happens is God gives Adam and Eve everything they need to be completely happy, and he's in perfect communion with them. As a matter of fact, he says, we walk in the garden together. And then the serpent comes along, and the first thing he does is start to punch holes in that. Would he really say you'd die if you ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Did he really say that this would happen? And what the argument really is from the serpent is to go, God's got something good and he's keeping it from you. So taste the tree. And what that is, is it goes right to the identity for us of who God is. Who's our father? Is he somebody who takes good things and he holds them away from us? Is that what he was doing with the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Is to go, really, it, you'll be just like God if you take this. And bless their hearts, they fell for it as so many of us do, as we start worrying about really who our God is and whether or not he wants to keep good things from us and whether or not what he wants to do is to harm us, to teach us a lesson. That word pruning can be a really tough word because what it does is it goes right to the heart of who we think God is. Here's what I want to do today is I want to give you another word because in that specific scripture in John 15 verse 2, 
That word is not used, that specific Greek word is not used anywhere else. That word for pruning. There's other words for pruning, but it's not used, that one's not used anywhere else. And this one also, and if you have your Bible with you, you might can even see right in there, it may have a little uh, note in there, a footnote. It's also cleansing. The word prune can also mean to cleanse. Well, I don't know about you, but the word prune can make me flinch because it sounds like pain. It sounds like cutting. The word cleanse, though, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a little more attracted to that word because one of the things that that can look, sound like is to refresh. To cleanse is to refresh. To cleanse brings new life. That's what cleansing can do. And in particular, for those of us that have walked with the Lord before, that's a language that we're pretty familiar with. The idea of being cleansed, right? That harkens back to maybe your baptism. The idea of going, I welcome this from God to cleanse me. I want this from God to make me clean, to regenerate, to be new, to have something uh, grow anew. To take the things that can be unhealthy from the branch so that it can be closer to the vine. I like that word. And I like that my God does that for me. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. When you start talking about the things that can be cleansed from you so that you can have more of a close relationship with the one true vine, you know, so that you can produce fruit that is healthy. And when we talk about this fruit, I'm going to shift over a little bit. Same metaphor, a little different time, right? As we're talking about Jesus talking about I'm the true vine and you're the branch. But then you have Paul who will later talk about what fruit is, right? The fruit of the Spirit. You familiar with that? The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against such things. This is the healthy fruit that we want in our life. And you know, it's interesting. Sometimes we say fruits and fruit. I think what happens there is sometimes our mind goes to fruits because we look at this as a list. And this is not a list. All of these things are intertwined together. Like, it, it's, it's really going to be hard for you to have patience if you don't have joy. It's really going to be hard for you to have generosity if you don't have faithfulness. These things are all connected to one another. It's not a list to check off. I met a sweet young lady years ago who became a, a, a Christian, and she just given her life to Christ. And then she was telling later that she went and read about the fruits of the Spirit. And she said, so I wrote them down on a whiteboard in my kitchen. And my plan was to check them off as I accomplished each one. And I remember thinking, oh, oh, sweet girl, that's going to be really hard. Because as you master each one, I'll just check them off. She says, never got past love. I was like, yeah, you won't. You won't. And it, because these things are all intertwined. And the other thing is when you start talking about this fruit, you start realizing that this is what the vine makes in you. This is not something you create. This is something that the vine will do through you. And this is the sort of fruit that you want in your life, right? I mean, if, if I were to change this whole thing and talk about instead of just pruning and hurting and teaching you lessons, what if what we were to do is to go, who doesn't want a life filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness? 
gentleness and self-control. Who doesn't want a life? It's just overflowing with those things. That's why I love that Paul says there's no law against such things. Even, even, he would say even the pagans don't go, well, no, that's a horrible thing to ask for is to be filled with joy or peace or patience. Nobody's got a problem with these. There is no law against you wanting these things in your life. There's nobody that says it's a bad idea for you to have these things in your life. This is the fruit, the healthy fruit, that we want to grow in our life. And the only way this comes is by being attached to the one true vine. That is the only place that this happens. And I don't know about you, but I want God to cleanse everything in my life that keeps me from having those things and him making those things in my life. Cleanse those things. Take them away from me because I want that communion with God. I want that communion with my Savior to be in such a way there's nothing in the way of us uh, having this relationship. You know, in Galatians 5.24, if you go on from that, he said, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. One way that you could say that is to say, and those of us who belong to Christ, the Lord has cleaved those things, those passions and those desires of the flesh away from us. He's cleansed us of those things to keep those things away from us, being able to have that perfect connection to the one true vine. I want those things to be cleansed from my life. I want him to cleanse and cut and pull back and cleave anything that keeps me from being attached to the one true vine. Anything that keeps me from being able to draw near to the place that has everything I need, the true vine. Okay, so then this is the way this works. There's some things I want to be cleansed from, and it's easy, right? Anxiety. I would like for that to be cleansed from my heart. Depression, Lord, take that away. Trauma, Lord, please cleanse that from me. Wounds I have, guilt, shame, all of those things. My past, those are the easy things to go to the vine and go, Lord, please cleanse my heart of those things. And I want to tell you, if you're suffering through some of those things, the true vine is the place to hang on to. Draw near. Draw near to Christ. Uh, I also want to tell you, if you're going through some of these things, it doesn't mean you're not drawing near to Christ if you ask for other help. There's counseling. There are people out there that can help you. And so those things can go together. Drawing near to Christ while you get help from the places that you need to get help. But remembering that even within that, it is drawing near to the vine that those things will be most affected in Christian counseling and help in that way, keeping your focus on Christ. Those things are easy to ask for. It's easy to say, Lord, I want you to cut those things and cleave those things and cleanse those things from my heart so that I can be near Christ. But sometimes those are the hard ones to be cleansed of because those things tend to be in our hearts that make us feel that when we're unworthy to be close to the vine. And I want you to know that's an ungodly lie that you have anything inside your heart, inside your soul, in your past, trauma that you've faced that would prevent you from drawing near to the one true vine. That's a lie. Then there's some other things that are harder for us to ask to be cleansed from. And these are things that are usually in disguise. 
Because sometimes they can seem like good things, but they're actually things that can keep us from being attached to the one true vine. You remember me saying sometimes what happens is this extra growth that comes out from the branches. It gets further and further away. The problem with the branch is it thinks it's doing good, and I'm okay, and I can do this on my own. I can even go and be a vine. Those are the sort of things that can really fool us, and they're in disguise. So there's some things that we have a harder time asking for to be cleansed. There are oftentimes good things in this world that we've come to rely on more than we should. There are the things that we have in this world that sometimes we start getting our identity from and we start realizing that I've switched from holding on to the true vine of all my nutrients and everything I need and everything that I am. And instead what I've done is I've grabbed onto these other things, this security that this world promises. What other people say about me, I start to believe that those things are true. They can even be good things. Paul talks about that in Philippians 3, 4 through 9. If you listen to him, he says, If anyone else has to be confident, reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, was blameless. All of these good things. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. That is Paul saying, here's something you need to know about me. I got out here and I started looking at all the things that I've done and all the things that I've accomplished, and they're good things, but I started taking my identity from them. And I started taking these things as the things that would save me and that would make me whole and that would make me complete. And I found my identity in what I did and who I was, and now I've come to find out that wasn't the true vine at all. So Lord, cleanse me not of these good things, but of my reliance on them. Cleanse me even of my reliance on the good things. That's the neat thing about our Savior is he doesn't just save you from the bad stuff. He saves you from the good stuff. Because the good stuff can start convincing me that I've done what I need to do. That I've reached some sort of goal. And the problem with that is at some point I'm going to fail myself and then I'm not going to know where to turn. And so he saves me from that too. Lord, cleanse us from the things that I think I need more than I need you. And that can be uncomfortable. That can be hard. But one of the things I also learned from my vine dresser friend is stress sometimes is really good for growing fruit. As a matter of fact, he told me this year, you know, with the drought, it's going to be a great year for grapes. Did you know that? It's going to be a great wine year. You want to know why? Because what happened with these vines and these branches is they had to go deep. They had to, these branches really had to rely on the vine. And this vine, the roots really had to go deep. And he goes, this is going to be a great year for wine. Because some of this stress made it focus on where its nutrients and where its life really lies. But sometimes we have a hard time asking for those things to be cleansed from our heart. Don't take those things away. Don't, don't cleanse me of my reliance on the things of this world that I have set up to make myself comfortable. 
Let me tell you uh, about a time where um, we learned this. So um, a few years ago, uh, my wife, Melissa, got diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, it's that hard day, you know, that day where um, you have your normal testing over the years, and then they call, and they say, yeah, your test didn't go well, and then they use the C word. And a lot of you have experienced that. I know you have. As a matter of fact, we came and visited. Uh, I think our reception here, one of these days, was the day when y'all recognized cancer survivors. And um, that was one of the first ways we bonded with you because my wife got to wear that pin with a lot of you. And y'all hold that in common. You share that survivor of, of that. And so... Uh, if, if you haven't experienced this before, here's the way that this works is they call and go, you have cancer, and then there's six weeks of tests before you find out what that means. Does that mean deadly cancer? Does that mean we're in big, big trouble? Does that mean something that's a little more mild? You, you don't know. There's a spot where you just know that you've been attacked by something. And so during that time, uh, Boy, we, we really, really had to grasp tight onto the vine. We didn't have anything else to grab onto. There was nothing else that had the answers for us. I remember going to church the first time after we got this news, before you know what's going on, and being able to worship before our God and going, this is the first time that we really, really together get to lay this at the feet of our Father and to go, I got no other place to take this except for you. Now, let me make something very clear. I don't believe God gave my wife cancer. I believe that comes from a broken world and from physical bodies that weren't meant to last forever. Sickness will come. These bodies do not last. That's just part of what goes on. But let me tell you what I do think he did. I think he was able during that time to cleanse our minds and our hearts of everything else that there is that keeps us from seeing clearly our Heavenly Father. Let me tell you what did matter. The bills, the budget, my retirement plan, what other people think about us, how many likes I got on social media, it, none of it mattered. It really didn't. And so was, there was this cleansing in our hearts and in our minds of who we rely on, who we belong to, who we are. And that was the gift that God gave us. I want to make this clear again. I don't believe God gave my wife cancer. I believe what God did was he cleared the way for us to see how to draw near to him. And because of that, it was a gift. We still look at that time as going out. Some of the most precious time closer to God that we've ever had. Hard. Want to do it again? Not necessarily. Would really rather not. But some of you know exactly what I'm talking about with this and how hard this time can be. It's those times of stress sometimes where we can see clearly, and this is times that give us courage, right? It's that walking and stepping out in faith. Sometimes what happens is those are the times where we're really able to show our faith and to grab onto Christ. Otherwise, if there weren't these times, right, that show us how close we... How does Peter walk on water without that stress, right? How does that happen? How does Abraham go to the land that God is showing him and having faith? How did the disciples drop their nets and go follow Christ? Except for that time where he goes, I'm going to kind of cleanse everything away. And here you are, right with the calling of God. And so I pray God cleanse us so we don't lose our courage. Don't let us lose our faith. Don't let us lose our ability to step out on faith. 
Don't let us become parents who try and raise our children to be completely comfortable all the time. Because let me tell you, comfortable is not good for a branch all the time. That's not a good thing. It'll make us forget who we belong to. It'll make us long for this world instead of the eternal one and the kingdom that we really belong to that is an eternal one. Let us be people who long for that close communion with Christ. Let us be people who are not afraid of it because we know we have a good, good father. We know we have the good shepherd and the great physician. We don't need to be afraid of what God does to cleanse us. These are things that are good and that draw us to the, good, the, the best relationship that we can have with the true vine. If I can, I'm going to close out with one other story that I want to tell you. And I know these stories are hard, but they're also beautiful. And so I hope you can stick with me for a little bit here. Because these are the times that we really start realizing what is good in this life. And how great it is to be in communion with our God. I don't, I don't know how many of you know, you heard of Paul Faulkner? You know Paul Faulkner? If you don't, uh, I'll just tell you real quick. Paul Faulkner uh, was a guy who was at Abilene Christian University and a great teacher in the Churches of Christ and otherwise. He was a professor there who taught Bible. Uh, he and Carl Burkeen started these uh, marriage seminars that go way, way back. I know my, I think my great-grandparents went to one of their, uh, maybe one of their uh, marriage courses years ago. He's just, just an amazing godly man. And over the last few years, I got to get closer to him as he was in Austin and going to church where I was. As a matter of fact, he was, he was one that encouraged me to preach. Um, just means a lot to me, means a lot to my family, means a lot in particular to my, brother, uh, my brother-in-law and sister. They were very tight with him. And over the, he just passed away just a few months ago. Paul just passed away. Uh, but over the last few months and few years, one of the things that happened is Paul started losing his memory. And uh, my sister and brother-in-law went to go see Paul in Dallas where he was. And they came back and they told us this story. And how I reacted to this tells me a lot of what I really believe and what I have faith in. They said, we went in to see him and he didn't really know who we were. And they had had a close relationship. Said he didn't really recognize. He smiled like he knew he liked us, but he wasn't able to remember our name. Uh, and as they started talking about memories, there was a lot of it he didn't remember. He would smile and go, I don't remember that. But you can tell me the story. And so they would tell him the story. But one of the things that was neat is he wasn't afraid. He wasn't scared. And when he did talk, he would quote scripture like this. And one of the other things that was really neat is when they did start talking to him about how he's doing, he said, oh, I'm doing so good. You want to know why? He said, you know, for most of my life, I felt like me and Jesus were just like this. And then over the last few months, I've come to find out that it's more like this. And now I found that it's really like this. And so they left and they wept on the way out. Not out of pity, out of envy. Out of envy to have someone who has been pruned and cleansed of really every memory and every thought outside of me and Christ, just like this. What a wonderful goal to have. What a wonderful place to be where I can't remember any of the things of this world that can cause me pain and cause me hurt and it can remind me of death, but instead what I know is the one true vine and I'm in perfect closest I've ever seen to perfect communion 
with my Christ. What a wonderful place to be. Maybe we all look at that as the beautiful thing that it is and not pity someone who has learned to be in that place. Instead, let us be people who say, Lord, you cleanse me of anything that keeps me from holding on tight to you, of knowing that you have everything that I need and belonging to you. We're going to take a few minutes, and we're going to pray about that, okay? And it's a little, little different, but I think it's familiar with you guys. I would really love for us to spend some time in prayer about this. I want us to be people, praying people, who love uh, that communion time with the Lord to be able to talk and to be able to pray with him. So here's what we're going to do is here in a minute, I'm going to pray for just a minute. Ricky's going to come up and he's going to sing a song. And so I'd like for you to take just a moment and pray, pray to your heavenly father about being connected to the vine. Pray for him to cleanse anything that you don't see that's keeping you away from being connected to him. Pray for the things that you do wish that he would cleanse you of. Pray for whatever you need to go before your heavenly father with. Have that communion with your Savior and with your Father. We're going to have uh, some elders that will be uh, out and around here. Um, Melissa and I will be back here if you want to pray with us too. Uh, We would love to be able to pray with you. But if you'd like to pray with somebody, go pray with them. If you have somebody around you you'd like to pray with, pray with them. If you'd like to sit quietly in your place and pray, then pray there. If you'd like to sing along to the song, uh, then do that. But we're going to take just a little bit of time uh, for reflection for us to remember that we are needy for our God. And then after that, we'll go into time for a call to prayer. And then we'll get to celebrate together the communion of Christ. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for the way that you love us. Lord, we, uh, we thank you uh, that we have been pointed to the one true vine. God, we thank you for um, all of the ways that you can show us um, how we can hold on to Christ, to let him heal us, to let him remind us of how much we're loved, to remember uh, how we have been cleansed. Lord, um, we ask right now that you would reveal to us the things that we don't see. Anything that we are grabbing onto that's keeping us from being in communion, perfect communion uh, with the true vine, Lord, we want those things to be cleansed from our heart, and we rely on you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.